so if you're new with us, my name's Tim Deal. I'm one of the pastors here. And I don't know about you, how many people, I mean, at home, you can raise your hand, but you, I won't see you. Uh, if you're here, how many of you remember your first plane ride? Remember your first plane ride, those who have been on? Yeah, yeah, right? So my first plane ride was actually my freshman year of college. Um, ironically, I, kinda, I wanted to be a pilot all of my life, um, but the first time I flew wasn't until I got to college. So I went with um, a group of other students. We went down to Haiti to spend about 10 days uh, working with a ministry down there doing some work. And uh, I was so amped up for my first plane ride. I mean, I just had all these ideas of what this was going to be like. And, you know, I mean, if you've been on a plane, you, you know the experience as, as the, uh, the plane kind of jets down the runway and you kind of feel it picking up speed. And then suddenly it lifts up into the air and you're like, well, this is really different, right? This is new. And you look out and things that used to be kind of normal size or big even become tiny. So people, of course, uh, but then like the terminal starts to get smaller and smaller. And as you kind of bank to the right and you kind of see everything, I'm right by the window, right? So you're seeing everything out the window and it's all getting smaller. And, and eventually you kind of break through the clouds and there's just mountains of what looks like cotton, right? And the sun just beaming and it's just amazing. It's like surreal. It was awesome until we got our first kind of batch of turbulence. Now, I, I don't know, you, if you've, again, if you've flown, you know what that feels like. And, I'm, you know, there's different kinds of turbulence, obviously. Uh, my dad used to tell me stories. He, he worked for NCR, National Cash Register. Uh, there was a company that created the ATM. Uh, but he worked for them for years as a, a representative who flew all over the country. And so he would tell me stories. He hated heights. It's kind of funny because he couldn't stand being up, like, on catwalks. But he had to fly everywhere. And so you tell me stories of times they would hit turbulence. And the worst one was this time where he said they literally kind of dropped instantly about 1,000 feet. Now, I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, I don't know if it was literally 1,000 feet. But for my dad, that was just terrifying. And I had this in the back of my mind as we were kind of going through this moment of turbulence. Oh, my goodness. At any moment, we could just free fall for 1,000 feet. What would that be like? I'm imagining like the worst carnival ride ever. Um, that's kind of what's going through my head. But it wasn't any of that, right? It was, just, it was just normal turbulence. It was kind of like you're driving through a parking lot with lots of potholes, right? And the, the car is rattling and it's uncomfortable. That's kind of what it was like. You know, it's the shaking. But you're wondering, you're like, we're 20,000 feet in the air. Where'd the potholes come from, right? Like, what is going on? Why is this thing shaking? Then suddenly you're starting, or at least I, I'm starting to have all of these thoughts. Instead of looking out of the window and admiring the amazing view, I'm going, who put this thing together? And what were their qualifications, right? Like, did they get, like, an online certificate? What does one have to do to be able to put together an aeroplane that 100 people are going to get on and jettison into the air and just kind of fly for a couple hours. Like, who, who does that? Secondly, who's flying this thing, right? Like, is this person going through a divorce right now? Did they get a good night's sleep? Um, what, how much have they been drinking? Like, what's going on with that person? And all of these stories are kind of going through my head, and I'm imagining the worst-case scenario. I'm trying to envision what's it going to feel like if this like, if all of the engines go out, do planes glide? Do they suddenly become like a rock and we just plummet? What would that experience be like? How would I respond? Would I pray and be in touch with my creator serenely? Would I scream obscenities? Which one is really going to happen, right? And I'm, I'm thinking about all of this, and this is about 30 seconds into the turbulence, right? So this is not, I mean, I'm just 
all of a sudden, the, the ride went from amazing to terrifying because I had this sudden recognition of my vulnerability. There was literally nothing I could do. I mean, everything I could have done up until this point happened back in the terminal. Now it's over. Like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to walk off the plane. Like, we're just kind of here. And so I had this moment where I had to kind of figure, am I going to spend the next, I don't know how long the flight was, two hours or whatever it takes to get to Miami. I'm like, am I going to spend this next period of time imagining all of these stories and being terrified, or am I going to just let it go and enjoy the ride and trust the pilot? Well, thankfully, um, I was able to, with a little bit of work, let that go and trust the pilot. And it was a fantastic flight. It was amazing. And still to this day, I love flying. But I always kind of have those moments, right? Those mo- probably, usually it's when you hit that first little bit of turbulence, when you come face-to-face with your vulnerability. And you have to think about, am I going to trust the pilot? Or am I going to... Am I going to sit in anxiety and worry? And of course, many of us are experiencing turbulence right now in our lives, right? Now, for some of us, it's extreme turbulence. It's, it's the drop a thousand feet in a second turbulence. And you kind of have that feeling in your gut of things just changed in an incredible way in a remarkably short period of time. And it took my breath away, and I'm not quite sure how to recover from that. Maybe that's your experience. But many of us are having more of the, like, kind of normal, rattling, pothole experience. Even if life is going relatively well for you at this moment, all of us, because we're in the midst of a global pandemic, are experiencing the reality that we are vulnerable. We're in a moment where things are rattling a little bit. And and maybe some of us are starting to ask the questions, like, who's flying this thing? And how much have they been drinking? Well, we're continuing our series that we've been calling Disruption. And in this series, we are following along with Mary, the young mother of Jesus. Mary, of all biblical characters, you know, she, she arguably experienced some of the most significant disruption. Someone who had her life kind of figured out, had made really good decisions, getting ready to get married to Joseph. Everything looked great, and then suddenly this angel shows up with an announcement, and everything changes. And in this series, we're following along and learning from Mary as we kind of move and mark our way towards Christmas, how Mary experiences hope and peace, love and joy, even in the midst of intense disruption. So last week, we talked about hope. This week, we're going to talk about peace. But we're actually going to look at the same passage we looked at last week. We don't typically do this, um, but... I was struck by how much hope and peace kind of linger in this very first encounter Mary has with the angel. So we're going to go back to that passage to start with. So this is out of Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Luke is the third biography of Jesus, the third gospel of Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, We're also going to have the scripture up on the screen or I think down here if you're at home. We read, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. 
Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of the Lord, or the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So, here we go, right? I mean, Mary is, com- her life is completely disrupted. We talked about this last week. Every, all of her plans, all of her hopes, all of her dreams, blown up by this announcement from this angelic visitor. What we remember kind of in our Christmas imaginations as this serene moment, I would imagine for Mary had to have been like this first encounter with turbulence. Oh my goodness, All of my plans are gone. This thing is pretty fragile. And at this point, I would imagine Mary might have been wrestling with a lot of thoughts, a lot of kind of projecting where this might be going in the future. Will Joseph divorce me? And what will happen if I'm a single mom? That's not really a thing in first century Palestine. So what happens? How do I provide for my child? What kind of life does that mean for me? What am I, what's my family going to say? Certainly they're going to be ashamed. They won't believe me. I'm going to be rejected. What about my religious community? What are the religious leaders going to say? I'm going to be the poster child for the kind of people that young girls shouldn't be. That's, that's my story. That's kind of my future now. No matter, even though I've done all the right things up until this point, because of factors beyond my control... I'm now going to be that person they all point at and snicker and warn their girls, don't be like her. I'm sure Mary would have had these stories and many other kind of running through her head. Utterly kind of leading to this place of potential despair. And yet, she doesn't. She doesn't despair. She simply responds, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Mary seems to find peace by letting go of control, even of her own life. Control is an interesting thing, right? Uh, Control is kind of like one of the great American myths. This idea that if we just do all the right things and make all the right choices, life will go the way that it ought to go. That if we're the right kind of people, you know, we you know, exercise, say our prayer, eat our vitamins, um, whatever the formula is, right? Like we tell the truth, we don't cheat on our taxes, we don't cheat on our spouses, like we do all the right things, life's just going to go right, right? That's how it works. And yet, we find again and again that control is a myth, That the more we grasp at it, the more we experience its impermanence. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that our consequences don't matter. I'm not saying that our consequences don't actually have, uh, you know, they don't have results that we need to deal with. Um, or that our actions don't have consequences. Sorry, I was getting my words messed up there. Uh, they certainly do. But they're not formulas, right? I mean, just ask any, ask any young mother who is longing to have a child, and yet she and her husband can't get pregnant, right? They try and they try, and they just can't conceive. Maybe they did everything right, but it's just, it's just not working out for them. Or maybe, you know, ask the person who, you know, waited her whole life to, to get married and um, she was so excited, saved herself for marriage, met a, a perfect young man, they got married, and then five years in, he has an affair. Ask anyone who uh, raises their child the right way, right? Spends all their time and energy reading all the parenting books and does all the right things to make sure their kid is set up for a great life and then watches their child make one bad decision after another. Or, you know, think about the person who worked really hard to save up money so he or she could start the, the small business of their dreams and, and they were just raring to go in January 2020, right? And so they invest in the, the space and they're so excited and then there's a global pandemic. Control is an illusion. It's not that what we do doesn't matter. It's that we are simply finite and vulnerable creatures who have precious little control over what actually happens. Mary comes face to face with that. And she chooses to trust. She chooses to let go of control. And it seems as though in doing so, she experiences peace. That peace is found when she stops trying to control the situation and instead entrusts her life to God. And I think this is instructive for us as we watch Mary from the outside. That Mary shows us the way. Not by grasping control or by trying to take back the reins, but by letting go and saying, I'm your servant. I trust you. So there's a, um, a journalist named Tim Mag- Madigan, I think is how you pronounce his name. He was a, uh, a journalist for a Fort Worth newspaper. And a couple of decades ago, he had to do a, a celebrity interview with Mr. Rogers. And uh, in this, you know, as he struck up this interview, this is not the person who they did the movie after, if you've seen the movie. Um, It's a a different story, one they almost made a movie out of but didn't. Um, So another journalist who struck up this kind of, he he had an interview with Mr. Rogers, and in the process, as it seems like Mr. Rogers was known to do, uh, they developed a friendship. And so they kind of wrote back and forth for a while, and, um, and Tim would share some of his struggles, his personal problems that he was dealing with. Uh, Fred Rogers referred to them as his furies. And in one of these correspondences, um, Fred Rogers said this to Tim Madigan. He said, I'm fairly convinced that the kingdom of God is for the brokenhearted. You write of powerlessness. Join the club. We are not in control. God is. 
I'm fairly convinced that the kingdom of God is for the brokenhearted. You write of powerlessness. Join the club. We are not in control. God is. Fred Rogers had this sense that in spite of all that we could and should do, we were not in control. And that there's some freedom. Actually, that, that entering into the kingdom of God, being a part of what God is doing in the world, in some way relies on our ability to recognize that we are not the ones in control. God is. But that's an interesting statement, God is in control. Um, what does that mean exactly? Now, there have been books written on that. People far smarter than me have expounded for a long, long, long periods of time um, on what that could mean. And we don't have time to get into that this morning. But suffice it to say, it does not mean, I don't believe, and I don't think Scripture, uh, if, as we look at the Scriptures, the Scriptures do not lead us to believe that what it means when we say God is in control is that God makes everything happen. Sometimes we can actually use this phrase, God is in control, as a way to just kind of make ourselves feel better, right? Like when life goes sideways and we're just like, yeah, God's in control. Like whatever's happening, God's making it happen. But I don't actually think that's what it means, that God is in control. Or maybe that phrase in general, despite the fact that Mr. Rogers is way wiser than I am, maybe that phrase in general isn't the most helpful Because when we think about being in control, we think of like a puppeteer, right? That if God is in control, then God is kind of making everything happen. Which is fine when things are going well, or even when we kind of like sort of bad things happen. But when devastatingly bad things happen, what do do you do with that? When a child dies, or when there's a global pandemic, is that God? just making it happen for some larger purpose? I don't think so. That's not the person that we come, that's not who Jesus reveals God to be. God is not the author of death. God is the author of life. James tells us every good and perfect gift comes from above. That we trust that God is the source of all that is good. So maybe a better way to think about it is not, thinking about control, but thinking about God's sovereignty. I appreciate the way uh, theologian Chris Green talks about this when he kind of contrasts control and sovereignty. He says this about control. He says, control makes something act in ways false to itself. It violates, oversees, coerces, and masters. Control takes away freedom, forcing someone or something to do what is against its own nature or will. I think that's a helpful description. Like Control isn't something that frees us. It actually takes away freedom. It forces us, coerces us into something different than what we might choose otherwise. Green says a better way to think about God as being in control is to think about God as being sovereign. That God, in fact, is king of all the universe. And that as king, God is at work in bringing about God's purposes in the world. In that context, sometimes things happen that are not of God, but that God can still and does still work in to bring about beauty in the midst of ugliness, 
Life in the midst of death, order in the midst of chaos. This is what God is doing as God as king reigns over God's good creation. He's bringing it all towards his good end. This is something of what it means to think about God being in control. That, I think, is much more reflective of the scriptural narrative, the the story we see in the scriptures. God is working all things together for good. God is moving all things towards his desired end. And even when things go sideways, even when we see face-to-face our deep vulnerability, God is still able to bring life and beauty and hope and meaning, even in the midst of difficulty and turbulence. The Apostle Paul says it this way in his letter to the Philippians. This is, <clears throat> this is Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. He writes, Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. As Paul exhorts the Philippians, catch what he starts with. He starts with, remember the Lord is coming soon. Remember that God is sovereign and he is working all of this towards his good end. And so because we trust in that reality, we trust that even when we are faced with our own vulnerability, there is one that we can depend on who is working all of this out, who sits sovereign, who reigns as king over all of this, even when it doesn't make sense to us. Because we believe that's true, we can tell God what we need. We can let go. We can stop holding on to our lives as though we somehow have the ability to control it. We can let go of the myth. And we can trust that even though we might not know where this is going, God is good, and he is able to work even in really difficult and turbulent circumstances to bring about life and beauty, purpose and meaning. Last week, we talked about the, the reality that Mary's hope came from God's presence with her and her understanding of God's unfolding purpose that she was a part of. And I think it's that same understanding, that hope in God's presence and God's purpose that ultimately leads to peace. It's because we trust that the pilot, that the one who is working out all of history, is actually trustworthy. We don't exactly know where the story is going, but we trust that the author of the story is good and that He's able to able and active, working in our lives and in our situations, bringing good and beautiful and lovely things, even when life gets turbulent. So my hope and prayer for us this turbulent Christmas season is that we would come to let go, to surrender control of our lives to the, the one who is revealed as the Prince of Peace. To God come to us as a a baby who shows us what it means to live lives of surrender to God. And as we do, that we would know this peace 
and it would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then we're going to move into a, a final song. And as we do, there's a couple of questions I want to invite you to reflect on. We'll go ahead and throw those questions up here on the screen. Um, so as, as Autumn and Josh lead us into this song, I, j- I just want to invite you to think about this, or if there's something else that stuck out to you, feel free to kind of meditate on that. Uh, but the questions that stick out to me are, are those of, one, where do you most struggle to let go of control? You know, each of us have different aspects of our lives that we kind of t- more tend to think like, man, if I can just wrestle this thing to the ground, everything will be all right. So where is that for you? What aspect of your life is it? Is it your, you know, your work life? Is it your relationship with your spouse? Is it your relationship with your kids? Your finances? What, what is it? What's the place where you most feel like you, you struggle with control to let go? And then uh, what's one step you can take toward letting go and entrusting yourself to God? What's one small thing you can do, posture you can take? It, it's, it's a journey, right? We don't go from complete anxiety over our vulnerability to absolute trust overnight. But it is a process of learning to let go, of learning to shift our attention and entrust ourselves to the, the one who is sovereign. So I want to invite you to think about that as we move into worship. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and invite uh, Autumn and Josh to come back up and lead us in a final song. Father, um, we really are attracted to the myth of control. We desire to have control, and and for many of us, um, we're actually pretty good at it. We've been able to control many of the things in our lives. But we uh, recognize that for all of us, at one point or another, we run up against the hard reality that we just aren't in control, that there are things beyond us, whether it's a, a global pandemic or a decision that somebody else makes or whatever it is that There are just things beyond our control. Would you help us in the coming moments and days and weeks and months to begin to release our grip on our lives, to help us to let go of of control and to entrust ourselves, our families, our futures, our, he- <clears throat> our health, our friends, our finances, whatever it might be, would, would you help us to let go of trying to control and to entrust ourselves to you? And as we do, would you give us your peace that passes understanding? and guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray.